Well, good morning, Exchange Church. How are you doing today? Are you awake? Let's try that one more time. How are you doing today? Yes, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, maybe you're uh, not sitting in this room, you're watching online. It's not an accident that you're watching. Today is going to be a great time that we're going to have together in the Word. Worship was incredible, just such a sweet spirit. The presence of God was with us and... Uh, I'm excited because we're in a series, How to Be a Perfect Christian, and I've loved this series so far. I think um, every sermon that I have, have done and Dana has done, that I and I've researched and digging into this, I've loved it. I've been super excited about the content. If you've not been here, you can watch online and get caught up with this. Today, I have to be completely honest with you, today, um, the sermon today, throughout the week, you know, like Carrie was like, baby, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't think I like this sermon. I don't like, I didn't like the topic. You know what I mean? And not, that, that doesn't make me not a Christian. Um, but there are some topics I get excited about and some topics that I'm not excited about. And this was one of them, to be honest. But as a preacher of the gospel, I am committed to preaching the full counsel of the word of God. Can I get an amen? So whether I like it or not, I'm going to preach it. Turns out that in my study through this week, I have fallen in love with this topic. So I'm excited to kind of unpack that for you. If you'll stand to your feet just one more time as we honor the reading of God's word. How to be a perfect Christian. You know, this series is built on satire, meaning the first point that I give you is for comic purposes only. It is not how we really believe around here. It's called satire. And then I'll give you the truth after that. But the big idea of the message today is this. Perfect Christians must attend a perfect church. Perfect Christians must attend a perfect church. And we obviously know that that's not necessarily true. But how many know somebody who believes that they're a perfect Christian and they're still trying to find the perfect church. You know what I'm saying? They do more hopping around than the Easter bunny on Easter Sunday. How many have known somebody like that? They say, oh, well, God has called me to this church. And three months later, oh, God's called me now to this church. And four months later, God's called me to this church. I'm sorry, but I wish God would plan ahead a little bit so we could grow some roots somewhere. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying that God doesn't. Maybe they're just a traveling ministry. They're just going from church to church. I don't know. But I I have fallen in love with the local church, with all of her flaws, and I'm excited to talk to you about that today. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. Uh, did I tell you the truth? The satire is perfect Christians must attend a perfect church, but here's the truth. The truth is the church should be a place of sacrifice, devotion, unity, and growth. The church is messy man, she sure is beautiful. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm hitting the end of Acts chapter 2, and if you've been in the church for long, you, you have probably heard that Acts chapter 2 is pretty significant in the Bible. It talks about, you know, that upper room experience when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and the followers and and they get filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. They fall out into the streets and everyone thinks they're drunk and they're not drunk on wine as you may have supposed, but they're drunk on what? The Holy Spirit. 
And then Peter gets up with his boldness and he speaks and preaches to the people. And the Bible says that thousands were added to the church in an instant on that day. And I want to pick up our text, the very next verse after. Verse 42, after the 3,000 were added to the church, we then see what the local church looks like. After first service, someone asked me, what does local church mean? I spent the entire sermon thinking about what does local church even mean? And And I was really grateful that they had given me that prompt so that I can share with you. A local church is what you're standing in right now. It is a church that is filled with a body of believers that call this their home. And we are in fellowship and community. We build relationships. There's accountability. There's growth that happens. I know what's happening in your world. You know what's happening in my world. That is the local church. They asked me, is, is the denomination of Catholicism a local church? And I said, no, that's a denomination. Uh, Protestants, Catholics, any other denomination is an affiliation. That's not a local church, right? So we can talk about the global church, which means every Christian around the world. But when we speak about the local church, we're talking about this room and the people watching online right now. The people that call the exchange church their home church. I believe that God loves the local church. And let's see how they built it in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I know that you're already here. I felt you throughout the service. Come and do what only you can do. God, move our hearts, transform our hearts in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that we have been given the awesome responsibility and opportunity to connect with and be a part of the local church. So God, over the next 25 minutes, I ask that you would just stir us, stir us to action, stir us to faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. Now before you sit down, I know when we started service, we did the whole meet and greet and you spent a couple minutes meeting new people, but now you get to meet all the late people. So we're going to take we're going to take, relax, everybody relax. It's okay, you were late. You, I know, you, you all had a flat tire. So it's okay, it's okay. Just tell everyone, I'm late, better late than never, amen? Meet somebody new, then you may be seated. I was just telling the front row that you guys are so serious today. First service was just so lighthearted and fun and laughing. Um, if you don't lighten up, you're really going to hate this sermon. So, um, anyway, I was, I was thinking about this, and you know, you think, well, Trey, why didn't you like this topic? I love the local church, have loved the local church for 
many, many, many years. I don't really like this topic only because I've not heard fresh perspectives. I've not heard new ways to communicate the information. And quite honestly, it gets a little laborious and boresome to try to convince people to take the local church seriously. Like, once you know what it's done for you and for your family and for your life, there's now this compulsion. You're not like pulled, you're not pushed into the local church, you're now pulled, right, by the transforming power of it. So I don't know, I spent some time praying and I was like, Lord, I need you to give me fresh revelation. I need you to help me share something new with these people about the local church and why you love the local church and how do we do church? So I started thinking about perception and you know, how I want our church to be viewed among you and among my family and among this community, the nation and the world. And, um, you know, I do believe that the Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. But just because I believe that and I see it and I've experienced it doesn't mean that everyone sees and experiences what I believe the DNA of the Exchange Church, this local church to be. So I kind of got curious and I was like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure there are churches around the world that have used their marquee signs to communicate a message. I wonder what, what they've said and if they get it right all the time. So I pulled a few pictures that we could look at and maybe laugh at together. I brought seven pictures, church marquees that I personally think are hilarious. So the first one that I want to bring to you today Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. <laughs> That's awesome. That, that church just told someone to go to hell. Anyway, next one. Live your life well so we don't have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Man. All right, next one. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. I don't know why some people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? <laughs> I love that one. Uh, I, that's, I mean, that's just really inappropriate. Um, next one. Next one. Clown, I, clown led worship. I don't know that this is funny. I just don't know what it is. I like, I want to call that church and ask them. And what's fun? It's a Lutheran church of all things. Clown. Any Lutherans in the room? Old Lutherans? A few? You ever been to a clown-led service? Let's talk. Okay. Next, next one. We love hurting people. So you, you get it. They don't really love hurting people. They love people that hurt. And this is why we call you the hangover crowd. Next one. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. What's <laughs> no. up? Listen. One time I went to the psychic and, uh, no, I did. I did. I was going to interview her for a sermon. I had, I was going to have it on film. It's, she's not there anymore, but it's where 1825 in Pflugerville, the big curve. And it's like psychic lady. And I, I park and I walk up to the door and it says, if you're here to see the psychic, call half an hour in advance. So we know you're coming. And I'm like, I knew it. She's not real. 
If she was really psychic, she would have already known I was here. Anyway, that's funny. Perception matters, right? Perception, perception matters. I, um, I guess I fell in love with the local church. It was 1995, 96, 97, 98. Carrie and I had been married on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1996. Yes, Mike was born in 95. In 96, I went into the United States Air Force. And on North Lamar, just south of Breaker Lane, Kramer Lane, um, they dropped me out, carried my wife and son, dropped me off to get into the military van to drive me down to San Antonio Maps. Micah was about four, five, six months old. He had not started crawling yet. He started crawling when I was away. Um, I did basic training in San Antonio. And then I went to Biloxi, Mississippi for my tech school. Anyone? A few crazy Biloxi people. Biloxi's awesome. Just a lot of mosquitoes. Big mosquitoes. Then I, you know, you put in where you want to go and where you want to be stationed. And I just wanted to be stationed close to my family. I had always had a close-knit family. I always lived close to my, not just my parents and my siblings, but my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And I wanted my son to know what it felt like to be close to his grandparents. And so Carrie and I put in for every base in San Antonio. Lackland, Randolph. I mean, if there was a base anywhere close, we put it in there for our option. And sure enough, they gave me Lackland Air Force Base. And I spent the next four years in San Antonio assigned to Lackland Air Force Base. I was a human resources and personnel specialist. It was, it was a great time there. The only big mistake I made was I sent a guy to Alaska by mistake. No worries. Yeah, true story. No, it happens. At least there was a base there. Anyway, um, we attended a church, Westover Hills Assembly of God. Pastor Jim Ryan, Jim and Denise Ryan. It was a medium-sized church, about the size of this church, possibly a little bit larger. And and uh, I played bass, and I joined their worship team, and we did all kinds of things. And um, Carrie and I had grown up in church. This was nothing new, but what was new about this church was it was just a new encounter for us. Like church looked different than we had ever experienced before. It felt different than we had ever experienced before. A lot of the churches we had been to and grown up in, they were smaller churches and not a lot of in and out with visitors kind of thing. So you got very close with people. It became like a family, but there wasn't a lot of hierarchy. There wasn't a lot of structure, not a lot of like, um, I don't know, organizational structure to it. This church was different and I kind of liked it. I remember just watching how everything flowed and they had different ministries and they had Parkers and all of this and someone over this and someone over them and someone over them and it was, it was crazy and I kind of fell in love with organized church and I know a lot of people say they hate organized religion. Well, listen, you should try it disorganized. It's, it's not fun. I fell in love with the local church and I thought just maybe, what? Can I, can I just clarify something? What, yeah. Yeah, um, you, I'm getting text messages from your daughter saying, you had Micah before you got married? Did I you, say that? Yes. <laughs> no, that is not true. <laughs> I mean, and, and grace to you, if that's your story, that's just not. No, it's not. I just, it's just funny because your daughter's like, what? what? I didn't know this. You, you just got, comp- you said we got married Valentine's Day in 96. No, I didn't And say Micah that. was born in 95. If I said that, they need to get better at <laughs> prophecy and read my mind and all that stuff. <laughs> 
I left Austin for the military on Valentine's Day. Thank you, family, for correcting. We did not have Micah prior to marriage. Okay, so we're settled on that. Is that all right? You okay? You're right. But let me just say that if I had, God could still use me. All right. So, amen. Uh, now, where was I? Scared to say a word. Where was I? We fell in love with organized church and just all of that in San Antonio. Carrie and I went in to see the pastor. We were struggling really bad in our marriage. It was the first four years of our marriage. Communication. Communication will take your marriage out. And we sat across from Pastor Ryan, and he said one of the smartest things I think I'd ever heard a pastor say, and I I use it to this day often, and every time I tell you this, I think of, of him telling me this. And he said, Trey, I think you need counseling because I'm a pastor, not a counselor. And I thought, what wisdom for a man to say he doesn't have the solution, but he can send me to someone that does. And I had just thought growing up, pastors fixed everything. You know what I mean? If you just prayed long enough and hard enough and you fasted long enough that suddenly all these great things fell into your lap. But, but here was a man that told me God could actually use something beyond just the prayer. And I was intrigued. I had always wanted to be an evangelist growing up. I started preaching at the age of 16. Um, and I wanted to, I, I hoped that I would spend my life just going from church to church to church, coming in with my gift, because I love, I love the gift of, of preaching, the gift of leadership. I love the gift, the prophetic gift, the word of knowledge and all of that, and the gifts of healing. I, I love all of that. And I thought, well, God's just going to use me as an evangelist because I don't want to be a pastor because that means I have to stick around with you week in, week out, and deal with your mess. And I'm not good at that. I'm good at showing my gift and letting the Lord work through me, but I'm not, I'm not good rolling up my sleeves and getting dirty with you with no resolution soon in sight. And that's the way I viewed it until this church in San Antonio. And I thought, if church can look like this, I might just be okay getting in the mess with everybody and us doing this thing like a family. Then we moved to College Station and got involved in 1999 very quickly with a church. Actually, within the first three or four months, I was already on staff at that church, I think. And we were on staff the next 10 years and again saw what healthy, healthy church looked like. I love the local church. And listen, I've been close enough to her that I've seen all of her flaws. And I know we, we have these bad experiences and so-and-so did this and I was hurt at this church. I, I get it. You're, you're probably going to get hurt anytime you're dealing with humans. Because guess what? The local church is filled with people that are broken. This church will never be filled with perfect people. Why? Because there's no such thing. You know why this church isn't perfect? Because you're here. And I'm here. And as long as we keep showing up, there will be imperfections. There will be wrong decisions that will be made. There will be wrong ministries that are started and we cancel because we realize it didn't work. There will be things that go wrong. There will be misperceptions. There will be little arguments. You know what I'm saying? It's called family. But guess what? When you really say you're family, you don't have the luxury of running away. You got to work through it. And so, so perception really does matter. And I do believe that the Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. 
And this is why I get so upset when I see on social media. Sometimes I just have to get away. And I don't think that any of you do this because if so, you would already be highlighted to me because I would already know. I would have pinpointed you. I can't stand when people on social media try to attack another preacher or a worker of Christ, a son or daughter of God. I don't care if you do it in the name of righteousness and holiness or what do they call it, some really holy name, like a wall watcher. Well, Joel Osteen, he's not deep enough. Really? You just don't like that he smiles so much. Do you know what I'm saying? Joel Osteen, I've sat five feet from him and I've seen him cry and weep over his heart for people. And you, you catch your 30-minute segment that they cut up and you don't actually know what they do at their church. Do you know that Joel Osteen actually has a place where he takes people and leads them into receiving the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues? Bet you didn't know that, but you want to say that he's very shallow because you only see one glimpse of a perspective and you want to bash him. Why? Because we are so concerned with accusing other people who are doing bigger things than we are so that we feel better about ourselves. And I just can't stand it. It makes me so angry. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't need one of us to join his team. Whether you agree with someone or not, whether you like his, you don't even have to like his sermon. You know who my wife absolutely loves and I'm like, meh, I'm not going to tell you. But there's someone, (laughs) there's someone, this dude preaches and I I don't think it's theologically sound. She loves it, loves it. It's not theologically, I just, I don't, I'm not crazy about him. But he's doing something for Jesus. So who am I to put my preferences on this man who is being used by God in his vein? Listen, whatever God wants to do in this world, it takes us all to accomplish it. It doesn't take a billion trays. Right? If, if, it, if there were a billion trays, God could only accomplish what Trey could partner with. Thank God there are other people doing things and pushing the gospel forward in a different way than we are here. So I, I'm not really a fan. If you're one of those people on social media and you're like, oh, and please don't. Don't elevate me at the expense of another church in this area. Don't, don't go on social media and say, my pastor is better than your pastor. Because that's not true. I'll tell you one thing. Every pastor of every single church needs to be prayed for. Because this is a job that most people are excited to jump into until you realize what you jumped into. I tell my kids, if you can do anything else in life and be happy, do it. Because there will come seasons in your leadership and your pastorship that you have to dig deep and you question if God really called you to it. I've had many seasons in my life where maybe I could go back and use my A&M degree. Maybe, maybe I could be an engineer. Maybe I could be a kingdom builder by donating huge amounts of money. Because, because this is awful. But then I realized just how beautiful it is. And what an honor it is to face trials and tribulations in the name of Jesus and building the kingdom. And how humbled I am that he could use someone like me for something like this. The local church is beautiful. It's messy, but it's beautiful. 
I love what Michaela said one time. You know, some people get offended that the church isn't perfect. I don't want the church to be perfect, actually. When we try to walk away from an imperfect church, what we're doing is we're stripping the church of her humanity. We, we want the church to be divine, and we strip it of humanity. But do you all realize it is our humanity that first attracted God to us? It is our humanity that God died on the cross for. It is our humanity that God leans in, in moments of weakness, in moments of addiction, in, in moments of faults and frailty, that God runs to us because of our humanity, not because we've got our act all together. So the church is messy, but the church is beautiful. All right, I want to go back to our text. I will tell you, I have a six-point sermon today. And uh, first service, I only got through point one. So, but, but, but I stopped in within my window of time, plus or minus. So I'm going to stick, I'm going to stop where I stopped in first service. But before I get to point number one, I want to take a sidebar and teach you something real quick. You may already know this. In scripture, there are two types of information. There is prescriptive and descriptive. Prescriptive, like a prescription. You go to the doctor, you get sick, they give you a prescription. It's an order, take this twice a day, these number of pills. You go to the pharmacy, get it. You're prescribed that medication, you follow the orders. Yes? Understand? Okay. There's information in the Bible that is prescription, meaning you follow this. Like, you don't get to interpret it. You don't get to say that applies to everyone else but me. Like, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, this is prescriptive. You do it. I'll give you an example, the Ten Commandments. If you are a follower of Jesus, you don't get to kill anyone today. Right? You don't get to covet your neighbor's wife today. You don't get to dishonor your parents today. These things are moral codes that transition through Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus coming onto earth had nothing to do with moral code. By the way, these things are prescriptive for the church, meaning this is what you do. But then there's descriptive. There's a lot of text in Scripture, a lot of the historical books. Let's see, um, history books. Well, you've got the uh, first five Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you've got uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Uh, a lot of those are history books. So there's a lot of description on how they lived. But listen, God doesn't expect you to go light a candle in a tent tonight. Right? Just because you read it in one book of the Bible, you have to decipher, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? This block of text, Acts chapter 2, is both descriptive and prescriptive. It's important to note that because this is the very first local church, body of believers that we see come together. So it is descriptive in context, meaning verses 42 through 47, all that they did as the local church, it's describing it so that you know how early church was done. It's prescriptive in purpose, meaning our church may look different than Acts 2, 42 through 47, but the purposes we find here should be evident in our church today. Does that make sense? Makes sense. So what we've got to do is we've got to search for the purposes in this scripture. 
don't worry. I've already done it for you. These are my six points today and next week. Point number one. Point number one. If we really want to be the church that God intended, we must be dedicated to the teaching. Everybody say dedicated to the teaching. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, they, they just had the upper room experience. 3,000 people added, added to the church, and they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. It does not mean that they agreed with everything the apostles said based on Scripture, though they did. They actually did. There was no disagreement. But that's not what this text is saying. They're not saying that they... They were held to or believed everything that the apostles said to their doctrine. What it's saying is they adhered to or attended on the teaching and the instruction. In other words, when the apostles spoke, when the preacher spoke, when the teacher spoke in the first church, people were on the edge of their seat listening. They attended to the word that was being spoken because they understood they were in a moment where God was shifting and building the church based on what the leader was speaking. A sure sign that you have had an authentic conversion in faith to Jesus Christ is that you are engaged in a sermon. If you find yourself making excuses not to show up or to log in, to be engaged to what God is saying, you probably need to evaluate, get, get a heart check on where you are with Jesus. I'm not saying you're lost and going to hell. I'm saying there's a distancing happening. There's a suppressing of the Holy Spirit happening because a true on fire follower of Jesus Christ that just witnessed and had an upper room experience will be ready to receive from the word of the Lord. I am... Um, I was thinking about Matthew 28. You know when Jesus sent the disciples, uh, when he was leaving, this thing we call the Great Commission. Anyone ever heard of the Great Commission? And, and God says, Jesus says, hey guys, listen fellas, I need you to go and make disciples. Do you remember this? Go and make disciples. Well, we often view the church, especially in this context, the local church, we say, hey pastor, it's your job to go and make disciples. Or Church, it's your job to go and make disciples. What we fail to understand is that this command from Jesus to people had two parts. Most of us never even see the back part of this command. We see the, man, the command that we need to go and disciple people, right? It's pretty evident. What we fail to see is that command also includes a responsibility that the listener needs to be ready to be discipled. You can't make disciples unless you have some, someone there ready to be discipled. I, um, I'm afraid that we're neglecting this command of making disciples. I, the first disciples were great. They listened to every word. Our culture today has really had it out for you. It's tougher to be a Christian today, I think, than in the first century church. I, I totally get crucifixions, beheadings, prison, all of that. But I almost feel that the subtlety of culture makes it harder for you to follow Christ than even back in this day. I really do. 
You know one tactic the enemy is using right now to distort the local church? I want to be careful how I say this, and I hope you hear my heart. But on social media, we have a lot of preachers, myself included, that will throw out a quote. You ever seen on social media a, a quote, hyphen Trey Rose, right? When I, on some occasions, say something really good, our team will put it on social media, and they'll say, hey, share that. And I'm like, well, can I share that? It has my name to it. And they're like, just share it. And so I share it. And then sometimes I'll have videos on there, but I'm not the only one. Anyone ever see a video on social media of Stephen Furtick? He is like a hero of mine. He's awesome. Um, he's incredible. I love Stephen Furtick. Anyone seen a clip from Bill Johnson? Bill Johnson is another hero of mine. There, there are so many speakers. Joyce, let's not leave out the ladies. There's Joyce Meyer. Oh, man, Priscilla Shire. Oh, somebody can preach. Priscilla can. Anyway, all of these people on social media have these 20, 30 second sound bites. And so you know what it's doing to us? It's programming us to think that we are being fed spiritually, but we're not. See, looking at social media and getting a sound bite here and there that gets us pumped and excited, that's fun, but it's kind of like watching a random episode of Friends. You know? Attending church and sitting under the shepherd that God has assigned you to causes you to drink from the stream that he has attended you to go in that same direction. And so there will be sermons that you may not be crazy about, but that's okay because corporately God is doing something in the context of this local church. What everyone else said, Bishop T.D. Jakes, he can throw out some one-liners that will make me feel like I'm a two-year-old. He's amazing. But what is God saying right here? Stephen Furtick can get me so excited in the way he, he holds the microphone with his biceps and triceps. He looks super cool and hip. But what is God saying right here? Like Priscilla and Beth Moore. Good grief. Beth Moore makes me feel like I need to go to Bible school all over again. But what is God saying right here. If we're not careful, we can drink from so many streams, we forget the stream that God has assigned us to. So we have to be devoted to the teaching. You know, the average Christian, by the way, has 10 plus influences, thought leaders, and religious speakers that they are poured into on an average basis. That's tough. It's tough. And I'm not suggesting you limit that because there's so much great stuff out there. I'm just saying, don't forget the stream that God has assigned you to. And don't forget your responsibility to show up on a Sunday and be discipled by the word that is being given from this platform. So what does it look like to be devoted to teaching? I wrote down a few practical examples. Would it help if I give you that? Other than just sit on the edge of your seat, which you don't actually really have to do. That was metaphorical. Um, some ways to be devoted to teaching, active listening, not passive viewing. There's nothing worse than somebody going to church just because they feel like they need a break from real life. Because they, they feel like this is cinema time, movie time. How can the pastor entertain me? Oh, he wasn't funny today, or I didn't like his jokes, or I, I didn't really get, or there wasn't enough video, the lights, there wasn't enough haze, whatever, whatever it is. Like, this is not your entertainment. This is where we are coming together to hear from the word of the Lord. So active listening. That means you might have to bring a pen if we don't have any extra, because, you know, 
this 11 o'clock service, you still pens all the time. We have to replenish this service. Thank God for the 9 o'clock. They're tithers and they don't steal the pens. Anyway, so you bring paper and you bring pen and you're taking notes. All right, what do you take notes on? I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're asking. Whatever is on the screen, that's a given. Write it down. But what Michaela does, and I think it's brilliant, as she's listening, she tries to ask herself questions. God, what do you think about that regarding me? And she'll write that on the paper so that through the week she can process that. So you don't just write what's being said. You write whatever moves you. Because listen, often God will show up to you first through an emotion, through, through a, a skip of a heartbeat or a stomach drop or Oh, he's talking to me. And maybe you don't even know. Maybe you don't even know that you're going through an issue, but the Lord is really wanting to do surgery in that area for you. And so there's just a drawing, a little jump in your spirit. Write it down and then pray over it throughout the week. Another way that you can be devoted to teaching, read surrounding scriptures. I can't tell you this enough. My God, if I die tomorrow and you have to find another church or another a pastor comes up here, you better be reading scripture around what is preached because not all preachers know how to rightly divide the word of God. And besides that, what if God's wanting to say something else to you? For example, today I talked about Acts chapter two. Your goal this week should be, I need to go home and I need to read all of Acts chapter two. I need to piece this all together. I wanna see how the first local church was birthed through this encounter with Jesus. God may actually want to do his biggest work inside of you in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, something we didn't even read today. But because you were an active participant and an active partaker of the word, God knew you were this week going to read that verse. So take this home and then read the verses around it. Grasp the content and context. Here's the final thing. This is my most exciting thing that the Lord showed me. If you really want to be devoted to the teaching, you need to pray for the soil, the seed, and the harvest. Pray for the soil, the seed, and the harvest. What does that mean? The soil is your heart to receive. Make this a family event on Sunday mornings. I know there's a lot of arguing. It's like, hurry up, go iron that, change your clothes. You got stain on that. Let out the dogs. I get all of that. But find, find a space on your, in your morning routine with your family to come together and pray over your hearts to receive the word of the Lord that day. God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear whatever it is that the spirit of the Lord is gonna say to me today. God, let my heart be tender towards your truth. Let me lay down my weapons of warfare. Let me lay down the defenses. God, invade all of me, all of me. The places where I've hidden the, the closet doors and I didn't want anyone there. Places that no one even knows about. God, just have all of me. Prepare me to hear all of you today. Pray for the soil before you ever get here. But you also pray for the seed. What is the seed? The seed is this moment. Where, where the speaker, whoever it may be, or the worship team, whoever is on platform, they're stepping into their God-assigned calling in that moment. The seed is going forward. And listen, as the seed, right now I'm already three sentences ahead on what I'm going to say to you. My brain is having to work super quick so that I can communicate without having too many ums, uh, and pauses and looking at my notes. So I'm already, I'm done with this conversation. I'm on the next but between my brain to my mouth to your ears and your heart, there's a lot of space that the enemy is trying to get in. 
He is trying to steal the seed that is coming from the word of the Lord to you. So pray over the seed. How many of you don't raise your hand because I don't want to go home feeling defeated today. How many of you this week have prayed for your pastors? How many of you this week have actually spent any significant amount of time praying that as pastors were studying to deliver the word that they would hear very clearly from the Holy Spirit to speak to your point of need, to change your circumstances, to create a word from heaven that that thing you've been praying for? I mean, come on, somebody. If you had been praying for a promotion for six years, have you been praying that God would just release that word through your pastor today? Praying over the seed. If you want to be, if you really want to be attentive to the teaching, pray for the seed before you ever hear it. And then pray for the final thing, the harvest. I I like creating one-liners. I like being creative. I like trying to formulate my lines into catchy phrases. But at the end of the day, the responsibility of being discipled is on you, not on me. And so hopefully this week, after you hear this sermon, you will pray and you'll look at the notes that you've written throughout our 35 minutes together. And you'll say, God, do heart surgery on me. What more do you want to do? How can I improve in this area? What am I doing right? Lord, I just, I need to be loved on this week. What am I doing right in all of this? Pray for the harvest. Because once I deliver the message to you, I guarantee you the enemy is already telling you, you can never live up to that. You can never accomplish that. Everything you do is not seen. You're not valued at the church. You're not worthy. You're being taken advantage of. You're just used. Do you know what I'm saying? If he can't stop the seed from getting to you, he will stop the seed getting in you. So you have to pray over the harvest. Be attentive to the teaching. So what is the Lord doing corporately in us right now? I think he's creating a passion and a love for the local church again. I encourage you, if you're a woman, be here tonight at Flawless, 6 p.m. It's not just an event to hang out and chat, which if it were, that would be reason enough to attend. We have some pretty amazing women, right? Two people agree. If that were the only thing Flawless was about, it would still be worth attending, but that's not just what it's about. I have listened for for hours, this woman, go over her sermon, her message regarding bitterness. Hours. Hours. And it's great. It is great. And part of being attentive to teaching is understanding that God placed that in her heart because corporately he's wanting to bring some healing to the people in this room. And you may think, well, I don't really need to be here because I don't have bitterness. You think you don't have bitterness because the enemy wants to blind you to the limping. You've limped so long, you don't even know that you have a limp. And if he can keep you from hearing the truth of the word of the Lord that can set you free, he will. So maybe let's just say you don't even have a problem with bitterness. Fine. Do you know someone that does? Yes, absolutely. Do you have the answers to give them? Are you confident that you could go out to coffee with them and share with them how to get over bitterness? If not, be here. Take notes. Let it get inside of you so that what the Lord pours into you, it can be poured out on others. And I love the local church. And I've already written my sermon. I can't believe I thought this was a one Sunday sermon. I've got five more points about the first church, the the purposes that they went through 
and they're pretty amazing. Point one, that was good, but I really love two through six. So I'm going to invite you to come back next week. Bring a friend, bring someone that needs to know Jesus and the power of the local church. Let us pray. Father, I come before you today. Thank you so much for your people. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in the heart of these people in this room and those watching online. God, you, you sent your son Jesus to die for the local church. And she is messy. I agree. I get it. But she is so beautiful. God, I thank you for the opportunity and the honor to be called your church and to serve in your church and to be a part of your church. God, move us, move us closer to being transformed into your image. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give Jesus a hand clap this morning? God bless you. We love you so much.